Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Licton Lifestyle. I'm Steve Peck, along with Dr. Edward Licton. You thought I was going to call you the great one again, didn't you? I never know what you're going to do, Steve. Well, you know, I've been calling you that, and if the shoe fits, wear it, and you've been wearing it well. But anyway, he's the guy who's the anti-aging and wellness medicine expert. He's also the author of the textbook of Bioidentical Hormones. And together, we've been doing this show now for, this is our ninth? Ninth episode, so we're really rolling along. And thanks to you, the listener, we appreciate your support. Today's show, we'll be talking about menopause. I had a call from Dr. Lichten this week, and we were discussing what subjects we should talk about. And he said, You know, we've done a lot of stuff for men, but it's about time we talk about menopause. And I thought, Oh, yeah, you're right. (laughs) I mean, how could we forget that? It's a huge subject, and we'll be discussing that today on the Licton Lifestyle. If you'd like to write us with your questions, we take them at usdoctorradio at gmail.com. That's where you send your questions, usdoctorradio at gmail.com. And make sure you tell your friends a new show is available every single Monday on iTunes. Now, if you'd like to contact Dr. Licton at his office, you can. He's available for consultations. The phone number at the office is 248 248- Five nine three ninety nine ninety nine again two four eight five nine three ninety nine ninety nine to contact Doctor Lichten. So Doctor Lichten, how are you? Hey, we're doing real well today, Steve. And you? I'm awesome. Uh, before we get into our main subject today, we like to touch on some of the items that are in the news and uh, hear what Doctor Lichten has to say about it because it's well, it's just fascinating. <laughs> Absolutely. But here we go. Here's a story that's in the news. It's another push for statins. There's now a push that cholesterol-lowering medication should be used by anyone with signs of inflammation. They use the blood test known as the CRP test. Now, the use of Crestor was reported to decrease CRP by 37%. Inflammation has been thought to be the underlying cause or one of the underlying causes of a wide variety of illnesses, including heart disease, diabetes, and arthritis. The CRP test is a well-accepted laboratory measure of inflammation. So the question is to you, Dr. Lichten, is this just another push, another angle to get the the statins in? I mean, what are you seeing with your patients? Are you seeing a lot of inflammation when you run blood tests? Remember, we go back to the beginning. And the beginning of all the discussion on inflammation and heart disease dates back to the Framingham study, which is a study of like 40 years of following people who lived in Framingham. And the guy who did the work on the C-reactive protein protein. His name is Richter. And he was actually here giving us a lecture one day. We had a group of cholesterol experts, of which I was in the panel. And he gave this wonderful lecture to the head of U of M and head of Harvard, uh, Henry Ford, and Uh head of Beaumont. And he got done, and everyone's quiet. And of course, I asked the question, and they all look at me with that stare, like, why are you bothering the expert? I said, why did you measure C-reactive protein when you could have measured insulin? Because what we're talking about is All inflammation really dates from diet and diabetes. And he turned to me, and he didn't answer the question. So I came up to him afterwards. I said, why didn't you answer the question? He said, we looked at the data because insulin is really what predates C-reactive protein, but the insulin samples couldn't be, weren't stable enough to be measured. So everything about C-reactive protein still goes back to inflammation from diabetes. Now, the problem with Crestor is threefold. Number one, Crestor is associated with a lot of complications, so much so that there was a FDA committee assigned just to look at whether they're going to pull Crestor off the market. Really? That's number one. Number two, inflammation is dietary. And if you're eating foods that are inflammatory, which is all the junk food that we have, then you're going to have more inflammation. So the bottom line is this. Studies have shown if you want to cut down C-reactive protein, what you need is fish oil, and vitamin C. And Crestor is another poison, and it shows no benefit when you do a true study where you compare Crestor against the uh, anti-inflammatory food substances, mm-hmm. if it is your second or third. So the study that we talked about last time was if you want to reduce the inflammation in your coronary arteries, you want to reduce the inflammation in your carotid arteries, the drugs you take are vitamin C, fish oil, and DHEA. And when you can put those up against Crestor, it'll blow it out of the market. Blow it out of the water because Crestor is a poison, and there's more complications with drug therapy, 
if you have heart disease, you have confirmed inflammation, you confirm plaques, and there's no other ways of taking things, then you can talk about the statins, but never take a statin without CoQ10. So bottom line is diet will reduce inflammation, hormones, vitamin D, uh, DHA, testosterone will reduce inflammation. When you get done doing all the natural things, there's very little indication for Crestor. So uh, how much vitamin C then would you want to take? If we did things properly, it's a teaspoon of vitamin C a couple times a day, which is a Linus Pauling routine, which is around 6,000 milligrams. You take a teaspoon of vitamin C powder, mix in a fruit juice or better yet a vegetable juice, keep it by your desk, sip it over a couple hours, do one in the morning, one in the afternoon. You're doing the best you can for anti-inflammation for anything possible. You know, when I mentioned vitamin C doses to people, they had like 6,000. They go, oh my God, 6,000? People are used to taking 500 milligrams of vitamin C, and that's a lot for them, right? But uh, in fact, it is uh, a great anti-inflammatory, and uh, anywhere between 2,500 to, like you said, 6,000 would be recommended. Yeah, Linus Pauling actually was pushing to 10 to 12,000. And the study that I, why I say 6,000, they've done animal studies. If you look at animals in the wilds that do make vitamin C, mm-hmm. like the gorilla or the orangutan, uh, they consume or they manufacture 6,000 uh, units, uh, 6,000 milligrams of vitamin C daily. So the number is is not picked randomly. It's picked by body weight for an animal of our size and weight. In the office, I try to cheat a little bit by loading up on IV vitamin C. But if I did it right, a teaspoon of vitamin C twice a day with uh, about three grams of fish oil would be more anti-inflammatory than all the pills that... Pfizer and Merck manufacturer. Well, and you don't necessarily have anti-inflammatory issues that you're dealing with, right? Well, we all have some. I mean, I don't have the degree that many people have who are younger than I am who have uh, have more heart disease and things like that. As a sidebar to that, you mentioned Pauling, and you've mentioned this guy's name a couple of times. Real quick, who is Linus Pauling? I know he's, he's done a lot of work with vitamin C therapy. Who is he? Linus Pauling dates from the early 1900s. He actually was involved in two, he got two Nobel Prizes, one for peace and one for his work uh, on uh, vitamin C. He actually was uh, the individual who would have figured out the, uh, uh, the DNA molecular structure uh, instead of uh, Frick, but politically they didn't want to give him the data. Uh, brilliant mind of the uh, 20th century, uh, understood the physiology of the human body better than anybody, uh, a very benign guy, uh, never ever uh, was seen as a very argumentative guy, and his rule was, you may argue with me now, and the way I will deal, uh, close the argument is I'll be there to watch them bury you, and he outlived almost everybody. He lived to be 94, and uh, pictures of him in his 90s showed a very vibrant uh, international traveler and speaker. Yeah, I looked him up on the internet. He did a lot of speaking and seemed to be very well respected. You can Google him and find out a lot of good information. Hey, we talked about spring, and spring always means baseball. And what do you eat at ballparks? Hot dogs, right, for the most part? But how about hamburgers? Not so much. Until now. (laughs) Do you like hamburgers? I hope you do, because you're going to love this story. The West Michigan Whitecaps, they're a minor league baseball team. They happen to be a Class A affiliate of the Detroit Tigers, They're offering up major league cholesterol, carbohydrates, and calories in an enormous hamburger. It's being added to the menu this year at Fifth Third Ballpark. So what's in it? Well, it's got five beef patties, five slices of cheese, nearly a cup of chili, and liberal doses of salsa and corn chips. It's a four-pound burger that's... 20 bucks. And hey, if you're on a diet, it might not be for you because it has 4,800 calories. But the good news, if there's any good news out of a 4,800 calorie burger, is anyone who eats the entire burger at the ballpark, hey, they receive a special t shirt. <laughs> And and I, I'm wondering what it says on the back of the T-shirt. It's like uh, William Beaumont Hospital, <laughs> sending people directly to the hospital. You know, they should just forget about the T-shirt and just have some EMS guys that stand by. If you complete it, we've got someone here ready to jumpstart your heart. 
Hey, you know the story about hot dogs and beer, though, don't you? No. Okay, I, you're, and you're the baseball player. The hot dogs yeah. and beer is a perfect way to make formaldehyde. The right. alcohol will take the nitrates in the uh, in the hot dog, so you actually can uh, preserve yourself permanently with enough hot dogs and beer. Obviously, not a it's obviously a great way of uh, oxidizing your tissue cells. So, yes, when I'm at the ball game, I have a hot dog and beer. I figure a little stress once in a while is okay. Good for you. <laughs> I don't do the hot dog, but I'll do the beer. I've been told there's a lot of uh, good things in beer. I, I used to know one heavy beer drinker that claimed there was uh, the the nutritional value of a pork chop in every beer. I'm not sure if that's true, but people that want to believe things can believe them. So I think I'm being healthy. And since I don't eat meat, I get my pork chops from my beer. Thank you very much. Well, actually, the B vitamins in beer are actually one of the mainstay for how we survived through the Middle Ages because of the nutritional deficiencies that were present. So by getting halfway drunk, you got enough B to keep yourself going. But it's not necessarily the way we have to do it today. All right. Well, now you know where to get a good burger if you're really hungry. Wow. <laughs> hey, um, on, on a lighter note, our final news story today is in a strange category. A man was stabbed after causing a stink, literally, in a motel room while eating with a friend, police said. Five men from the Houston area were sharing a Waco motel room Tuesday night, and two were inside the room eating <laughs> when one had a flatulence problem. The man was so upset about the gas that he threw a large knife at him, cutting his leg, then he stabbed him in the chest, the police officer said. The 35-year-old man was transported to the Waco Hospital where he was treated, and uh, he appeared to have non-threatening life injuries, but I'm not sure what the message is in that, but it sure is a strange story. Do you really want me to comment? Can we just let that one run? <laughs> I, let, when we let that one just blow by, okay? Oh, blow by. <laughs> We'll just leave it at that. So there you go, Dr. Lichten's, his feedback on what's happening in the news. And now we get to our main subject today, where we will talk about menopause. And in studio, we have a couple of guests, Paula and Mary. I understand that Mary is actually uh, an Olympic swimmer in uh, senior, is, is this true, Mary? Se- senior Olympics. That's Mary. How are you, Mary? I'm doing fine. Good. Thank you for coming. And over to my right is Paula. How are you, Paula? Fine. And uh, all I know about menopause is that it's the final pause in menstruation and that it's just a natural part of the aging process. I understand that the ovaries slowly reduce the level of hormones they produce and that the childbearing years is no longer an option. And to a lot of women, I think that's like hip, hip, hooray, right? (laughs) Oh, yes. That can be a good thing, not a bad thing. 52 years old, that's the average age. However, the full age range is between 42 and 56. But before you get to that great menopause phase, you have to go through perimenopause, and then it's followed by a a grand exit of postmenopause. So, Dr. Lichten, you're the man. Get us started. Tell us about menopause, when women go through it, and we'll bring our guests, Paula and Mary, in, and, and we can figure out their experiences and share it with our audience. Well, being a male who has lived through a few thousand, 10,000, 40,000 cases of women going through the perimenopause and menopause, I'm an observer. We talked already about when a male goes through his andropause and the similarities, but we'll focus on the ladies today. First of all, menopause is by definition, the end of menstruation. It doesn't just happen over one day. It actually is a process that can happen over uh, years. And the perimenopausal period can be five to 10 years. And then the process of going through menopause, by definition, can be six months to two years. The point is this is gradual, except in those cases when women have surgery and the ovaries are removed. Because the ovaries are producing Uh, Not only estrogen, but two other hormones, one called progesterone and the third called testosterone. But the way the brain works is there's a feedback mechanism. The brain knows that the ovaries are producing hormones, and the brain sends out signals, messages, like a dispatcher or better yet, like mom in the kitchen calling out to the kids in the backyard. And these signals are two hormones called FSH and LH. And during the normal reproductive years, these signals trigger ovulation. 
So the brain is in complete control of the ovaries and the production of hormones so that we can reproduce. Now, as women get older, the signals seem to become fuzzier and they don't work as well. So we'll have highs and lows uh, triggered by the brain and trying to get responses from the ovaries. Now, these highs and lows equate to hot flashes and sometimes to moodiness. So the symptoms women go through are not emotional symptoms, but they're really chemical hormonal symptoms. So we start off with what the menopause is. So when the brain is asking the ovaries to produce more hormones and the ovaries aren't, the brain sends out signals saying, give me more. And that's where we get the hot flash. And because the hot flashes are associated with sleep disturbances and mood disturbances and irritability and anxiety, there's a whole cascading effect of not having the right feedback mechanism. Women, on the other hand, have three hormones that their body produces to stabilize these signals from the pituitary. Estrogen, of course, we realize is a key female hormone that defines her structure, her body structure, her emotionality. Progesterone is a secondary hormone in reproductive years that is necessary to calm down the estrogen, keep it balanced. Uh, without progesterone, women get very premenstrual. Uh, a third hormone is testosterone, which is necessary for libido. Without any sex drive, we don't have a reproductive race. So the point is all these hormones have to be in balance. So we actually have three, four, five, actually six different hormones that we look at when we talk about the menopause. But it begins with perimenopause. Right. But the perimenopause, I've had women in their 20s who've come in with symptoms, and we find by measuring the blood test, and we're back to this, you don't go by just the symptom, you have to correlate to a blood test. And the way we do the blood test is we draw them once, and then repeat them two weeks later. By definition, no menstrual period for six months is, quote, menopause. But what is the blood levels? The blood levels of the brain hormones and the blood levels of the ovarian hormones. That's how we can tell exactly where things are at. A woman could be 42. I actually had a woman 53 in the office just this week, who's obvious, who is producing progesterone, which is almost unheard of. And yet another woman I saw at 31 who actually was in the menopause. So it's not your chronological age. It's the biological age of the pituitary hormones and the uh, ovaries. So you said it could happen perimenopause quite early. Perimenopause can start 10 years before true menopause. And we look at the hormones to say, here is normal, here is abnormal. In between, it's perimenopause. So what does that mean? If a normal woman's producing progesterone because she's ovulating, a woman who's perimenopausal is consistently not producing progesterone, she's not ovulating. If a woman in the reproductive years has a certain level of estrogen, we'll say less 100 to 150 or 200, a woman in the perimenopausal may have 50 or 60. So there's a gradation, just like you said, a transition between perfectly normal and perfect menopause. And in between, we call it perimenopause, is you're getting there. Some months may be fully menopausal. Some months may actually be normal. But we look at the blood work to define exactly what the symptoms are. You look behind the symptoms to see what's happening at the level of the brain, what's happening at the level of the ovary. Let's break that down. What are the symptoms? When a woman starts to feel like what, does she know that something's going on? Well, let's... Let's just take Paula, for example. Paula is here. Let's get it from someone who goes through this and suffers with this. Paula and I have medically treated, I think it's probably 15 years now. Uh, she can tell you symptoms that occurred when, what the triggers were, and what the outcome was, what the alternatives were, and what has been successful for her. Okay, Paula, uh, tell us how you started to notice that you were in perimenopause or menopause and what brought you in to Dr. Lichten? I had very high anxiety. Uh, anxiety? Insomnia. Mm-hmm. Irritable? I, yeah. Depression. So hot flashes, not so much. And I went from specialist, bioidentical hormone specialist, one after another. I went to six of them before I finally found Dr. Lichten. And their only answer was to put me on progesterone, which I was already on. And uh, nothing ever got better. It just got worse. The quality of life just went to a flat line. It was horrible. 
I spent my days walking around the block because I couldn't stand still because the anxiety was so bad. How does anxiety play a role in all of this? You see, estrogen is a source of both energy for women and when unbalanced against progesterone, a source of irritability. Actually, in animal studies, you can actually use estrogen to induce seizures. So estrogen is, you know, like testosterone, we can have rages if it's high enough. Estrogen has to be balanced. Testosterone has to be balanced. This is our sex hormones. The typical balance for women is progesterone. But if the estrogen spikes are there, and they can be very intense, levels can go up fourfold in 10 seconds from what the baseline is. These spikes of estrogen just cause tremendous irritability in the brain because estrogen actually increases the adrenaline hormones in the brain. So imagine being on 40 cups of coffee, and now you know what a woman's going through when she has an estrogen pike, estrogen spike. So the hormone balance is normal. Hormone imbalance is irritability. Let me take one step backward to when women are menstruating and you go through your period. You have emotional changes there as well. How do the emotional changes with uh, normal, if you will, menstruation compare with menopause symptoms? Well, if you look at the week before the menstrual period, mm-hmm. which we, we period that we call premenstrual or premenstrual syndrome, if a woman has unopposed estrogen, meaning that she has spikes of estrogen, she is irritable and the same symptoms, anxiety, irritability, depression, food cravings, bloating, headache. Again, what happens before the menstrual period is you have these spikes or these high levels of estrogen and then you get a drop with the menstruation. So it's a fluctuation of the hormones that women go through much more than men that trigger both PMS and menopause. The typical treatment that was pushed 50 years ago in England was progesterone, saying, well, if we give you enough progesterone, we can balance these estrogen spikes. It doesn't work for probably 80% of women. So if the only thing the doctor says, and, and trust me, the doctors Paula saw were some of the better guys. The other guys would say, this doesn't exist, this is all in your head, take Prozac. But these guys didn't recognize that progesterone is not strong enough to handle most of the women who have estrogen spikes, whether it's premenstrual or menopausal. Well, okay, Paula, um, continue then. You, you were feeling anxious and, and not well. You went to other doctors. They were prescribing stuff that uh, just wasn't working for you. Is, is that what you, how would you would classify that? Their answer was to go see a psychiatrist. And after I went six months to a female psychiatrist, she looked at me and she said, this is all hormonal. There's nothing wrong with you. It's just welcome to menopause and you've got to stick it out. And one day my girlfriend called me and said, this is the phone number of Dr. Lichten. Call him. I was at the end of my rope. I called him from the parking lot of a store and uh, he said, I can cure you. And I was screaming at him, no, you can't, no, you can't. No one has been able to. He said, no. He goes, give me your symptoms. I'm going to fix you. And I said, I don't believe you. He said, well, I'll be here until 5. If you want to come in and get fixed, that's fine. So I went in, and uh, sure enough. What happened? He took one look at me, and the first thing he did was give me a vitamin IV. I was crying. Crying was another issue. Couldn't stop crying. was uncontrollable. So out of my normal personality, I cried and I walked and I couldn't think, I couldn't function. It was a horrifying time. So you're thinking you're just going cuckoo. I, th- I thought I was never going to have another vacation with my children. Wow. So he gave me a vitamin IV. I started to, the crying wasn't totally gone, but it was slowed down. He looked at his nurse. He said, give her another one. I took a second one and then it stopped and felt better, not great. And then he explained to me just what he explained to you about the spiking of the estrogen. And then we started working on how to calm that spiking down so that I could actually function. What role did the vitamin IV play in that? Well, one problem that we have in our society is we're basically becoming magnesium deficient. And the more active you are, whether you're exercising versus female versus male, is a consuming magnesium. So magnesium we use for actually even in pregnancy, women who are having seizures, we can calm them down with magnesium. So by giving magnesium and B vitamins, we were able to take a hold on this emotional fluctuation by letting the cells calm down electrically. 
after we did that, then Paula will remember we drew blood work. And although I have a good impression about where the hormones are going to be, we relied on the blood work to confirm that we were in the right ballpark for the medical treatments. And uh, then the medical treatments were a different approach than she had before, and obviously they worked. For years, I had been told that I was my testosterone level was low. But one physician who actually considered giving me a testosterone replacement said, oh, I don't think I'm going to do it because it's going to make you angry. Well, wrong, because Dr. Lichten took one look at the testosterone level and said, guess what? You're getting a testosterone shot. And I thought, oh, my God, you know, it's fabulous. I think it's happiness in a bottle, but, you know. The testosterone. Yeah, for women. Mm -hmm. Because there's three hormones, not only estrogen, not only progesterone, but testosterone. And with the combination of testosterone that you and I have talked about for the last you know, seven, eight weeks, yeah. we now have the ability to balance these testosterones to do things that other drugs don't do. The environment is estrogen toxic. These estrogens have dramatic effect on both men and women, and we have to block them. And it happens to be that one of the testosterones we're using now actually blocks the estrogens that are coming in from our environment. The other testosterones we're using shut off these hot flashes, these fluctuations in the brain. So the anxiety, the irritability, the insomnia are blocked not with estrogen, not with progesterone, but with testosterone, something we learned back in the 70s. still works very well today. The definition of menopause is six months without a period, menstrual period. Perimenopause is all that time before that when you have irregular menstrual periods, you have the irritability, you may have the hot flash, you may have the decreased libido, you may have the aches and pains, you may have the uh, absolute craziness, you may have the bloating, you may have the uh, uh, symptoms that uh, Paul is describing, and she has a few more that she can list. There's almost 150 symptoms we talk about as premenopausal or premenstrual. It's all the effects that these chemicals have on your brain. And the point is, my whole body aches may be a sign of menopause. Uh, it's just so ubiquitous. It just covers so many different areas that without having the blood test, to say, hey, we can hang our hat right here. Your hormones are off, so let's treat the hormone deficiency and CMA symptoms go away. And what I told you before was I've had patients who had full-blown epilepsy as a trigger by estrogen. I had one woman who every menstrual period, was, her lung would collapse. I've had patients who broke out with acne all over their body. Uh, of course, there's women who chase their husbands around with a hatchet. I won't, I won't get to that. But <laughs> like a cleaver, my, cleaver, my cleaver. ex. I know. I was trying to be nice. Thanks. With a cleaver. And it, all these symptoms, when you don't know what the cause is, hey, look at the hormones. And gee whiz, you know, eight times out of ten, you get an answer sitting right there in front of you. Mary, tell us a little bit about your experience. Well, I was lucky. <laughs> I didn't have a lot of these horrible things happening to me. But all of a sudden, I started having almost hemorrhages. Every menstrual period was a nightmare. And um, I was becoming anemic. And uh, Dr. Lichten tried to treat me with hormones and and anything on earth that would work to stop this heavy um, hemorrhaging. And um, then with... Uh, his expertise and x-rays and so on, he learned that I had um, huge fibroid tumors. And there was just no other uh, recourse but to have, you know, a hysterectomy. And so that was performed. And What's up with the tumors? The fibroid tumors are common. Uh, they're more common actually in blacks and whites, but they're actually a 40% instance in, 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 in a white race and Uh, 60% in the black race, we're really finding that the fibroid tumors are probably related to a number of factors, one being the estrogens in the environment, uh, but also they're related to hormonal imbalances. Iodine deficiencies are associated with fibroids. They're very common, just not often they get big enough to uh, uh, cause this type of problem. And I don't remember how many years ago was, Mary, that we did the surgery? See, it was it was around 1985. So it was you know. 25 years. That's what yeah. I thought. So mm-hmm. 25 years ago, Mary now is forced into a menopause, uh, expecting that changes would occur. But we had to deal surgically with a problem that was obviously, in some respects, life disrupting, if not life threatening. 
Yeah, so let's talk about that. When women, through surgery, are automatically forced into menopause and they don't go through it uh, the natural way, is that a different situation? I mean, you're obviously getting there quicker. It's like falling off the cliff, uh, basically. When you take the ovaries away, uh, women will have hot flashes within 48 hours. So one of the things I do when we do have to do this type of procedure is the patient will get a hormonal treatment with an injection of estrogen right there in the hospital. So they don't have to go through all this withdrawal. I mean, this is the key hormone of life for women, and you take it away. I mean, it's dramatic. And uh, I think both women can tell you more about what it feels like to have your life blood removed. But does it happen to every woman when this happens, or do some not have those symptoms? Most women, when you do, when you remove the ovaries, they do have severe hot flashes. There are exceptions, um, but they're very rare. I mean, the bottom line is this is where most of the estrogen production comes from is from the ovaries. So when you remove it dramatically, just like you take your thyroid out, uh, as if you were taking, you know, taking our anatomy out, the uh, effects are very dramatic. It feels like you fell off a cliff. It feels like your whole emotionality is gone. You feel like you're missing part of you, and you really are, because the hormones are what makes us who we are. So even a woman that, that had that surgery that, that threw her into that menopause, even if she wasn't noticing a great difference, there is still something going on quite different in her body. Oh, no, don't question. And I think both ladies can attest to when they're not taking hormones what their lives are like. So so tell me about the hormone therapy that you're on. Well, uh, you know, right away, uh, Dr. Lipton t- took care of me. I mean, um, he took care of me in the hospital. He removed the fibroid tumors, mm-hmm. which he did uh, without uh, having to do, um, you know, um, well, how do you say, a vaginal removal rather than having to... We did a vaginal hysterectomy so yeah. she wouldn't have a scar on her abdomen, yeah. uh, even though there were significantly large fibroids. Yes. And then afterwards, when with the blood test, we identified that Mary had not just hormonal problems from the ovarian hormones, but I remember you were one of the first patients I started on DHEA because that was one of the adrenal hormones. So back then, 25 years ago, we recognized by looking at the blood system that under the stress of raising was five five children, I believe? Six. Six, I, okay. Yeah. Six. I, well, I, d- I inherited three of them. Okay. <laughs> so raising six kids alone, basically, and uh, working and doing everything else, she was burned out, which we've talked about a little bit before. So we picked up not only did she need the estrogen replacement and the testosterone, but she also needed some adrenal hormones, and, and uh, then Mary's story gets even more interesting. Well, let's hear it. Well, then I started using uh, right away the hormone patch, the estrogen patch Mm -hmm. which i still use to this day Uh, you know it's very convenient you just remove uh, just replace these two patch twice a week i use monday and thursday and anyway um, i've had this ever since and i'm i've been leading a very normal life i i didn't have these hot flashes that you're talking about you know, that people have when they've had a hysterectomy. I didn't have any of those things. Hey, how cool is it, the vaginal hysterectomy? I've never heard of that before, where you don't have to have the scars. Well, we have all kind of new things, too. We actually, for the larger uteri now, we can actually use a laparoscope. And actually, I was one of the first one in Michigan. I was the first one in Michigan, one of the first in the United States to do a hysterectomy with a laparoscope. So we actually can go in surgically. This is like the robotics of today. Mm-hmm. But before robotics, 20, 20 years ago, uh, we actually bend our head over and move our instruments around. We actually could take the uterus out, free it all up from above, and then take it out vaginally. But the thing that, uh, uh, you know, these are all surgical techniques. At this point in time, there's very little surgery in my office with a new medication. We're basically almost eliminating hysterectomies. I actually have one scheduled the first one this year, I used to do three and four a week. So now with the new hormonal therapies, women are not having issues that lead them to hormonal problems. So there's things we can do. The thing I wanted to bring up about Mary to focus on the topic is 
Mary's now been on hormone therapy for 25 years, okay? And yet you hear from the news with the Women's Health Initiative, uh-huh. you shouldn't be on any estrogen for more than five, five years. years. And they want to give you this Premarin, which is the pregnant Mary urine. And they want to give you this Provera, which is a derivative oil. Mary wasn't on this. She was on a natural estrogen patch 25 years ago, bioidentical hormones, well before anybody used the term. And with the other things we did with Mary, and why I asked Mary here was, and I don't remember Mary's exact age, but we'll just leave that for her to say if she wants to. But the point is, we replaced the estrogen, we replaced the testosterone, we replaced the DHEA. Mary found that she had enough energy after raising all the kids to actually go back and taking care of herself. Diet was good, and then her program of exercise is why we invited her here to talk about what you can do at any age. Mary, what are your feelings You've heard reports from the Women's Health Initiative about that five-year time period. Oprah Winfrey just had a show on hormone replacement therapy as well, and they talk about the five-year, five-year, five-year. It's what we keep hearing. I was doing a little bit of research for the show, and uh, I was looking at websites that dealt with menopause, and they have the same stuff up there. Check with your doctor every three to six months. See if you still need them. Um, don't stay on them for more than five years. And in past shows, Dr. Lichten and I have kind of broken through why all that misinformation is out there. But you heard the information, and you made the personal choice to continue with therapy. Well, I would have, wouldn't have thought of anything different. Why would I stop? Uh, it, you know, if there was anything wrong with it, Dr. Lichten wouldn't give it to me. <laughs> and it's been, I mean... Most people think I'm at least 15 or 20 years younger than I am, and I've done things that most people my age are just amazed that I did them. When I was 67 years old, uh, I was in San Francisco, and I participated in uh, um, one of the events of the triathlon that was being held there, and I did the swim leg of it. I've always been a swimmer. My father was a swim coach. Mm-hmm. And, you know. Anyway... Um, I swam the Alcatraz swim, and that was a mile. Oh, cool. Mm -hmm. It was a mile and a half, you know, from they they ferried us out to Alcatraz Island, and then we jumped off this ferry boat into the the coldest waters you will ever imagine. It was like 54 degrees when we were training a few days before. It warmed up to 56 on that day. Yeah, I, I had a wetsuit on, but... Um, we had been practicing with a full wetsuit, and it was too heavy for me, so I had just um, the wetsuit I had only went to the elbows and the knees, and I had a little uh, nylon shirt to cover my forearms. And But it was the cold was the really hard part. And how far do you swim? Well, it was a mile and a half. In, in, and in relation to land, where is that? I've been on Alcatraz, so you, from the island, okay. you see where I'm getting. I mean, because they've always said that the, a couple of guys escaped, and did they make it? Could you make it? There's a strong undertow. Oh, yes. Yes, there's all those things, but you you just keep on swimming. I did have... <laughs> yeah, I guess. <laughs> Unless you want to drown. Right, exactly. That's a no, good incentive. No, it, it, it was not easy, but um, I did have a kayaker leading me. Everybody had some type of a boat ahead of them and uh, kayakers were most common Mm -hmm. and this woman was very good she had done this swim before she uh, lives uh in in the san francisco bay area there and so i did have that help but everybody else was access to some type of person leading them and um i just kept following her and you were how old when you did that? Six, I was 67 years old. 67. I, I, I'm looking at her now going, hmm. <laughs> was that a while ago? About 10 years. Because I mean, you yeah. really, seriously, you look amazing. I, honest to God, if, if that was 10 years ago and you were 67 then? I will bow to Dr. Lichten. Wow. It's the hormone yes. replacement. Oh, but look yes. at her skin. See, the point is, that's why uh, when Carolyn put her face cream together, I insisted on adding estriol, which is a form of estrogen in the face cream. It increases the moisture content by 20%. And, uh, I mean, Mary has great skin, and this is Mary. This is not, you know, some artificially uh, structured uh, face here. Mary looks great. I never uh, had a facelift. Can I get those estrogen patches for myself? <laughs> what, whatever it is, I want to take it. Well, I'll take gonna... women's hormones. If I can look, continue to look that way, 
No comment. Yes, you, you can use the estriol cream on your face. It Good won't, God. It, it won't, Mary, it won't, you, should be, uh, you should be like the poster child for well, Dr. She, she is. When they have the uh, car shows here, Mary serves as, a, uh, as one of those car girls. Well, no, I, I, I'm not. Uh, I'm not one of the models, but I do. Um, I, I'm the office manager for the Ford models. Oh, good. Okay. And um, you know, you have to have a certain image, or mm-hmm. they wouldn't give me this job. What do your friends think when they look at you? Are they saying like, "What are you doing?" Yeah, they do ask me that. <laughs> and I, I tell them, you know, you the things them. that I. Yeah, I tell them I use this hormone patch. In fact, my daughter-in-law is one of the reasons that I called dr lichten yesterday he told me about speaking about this today mm-hmm. so, uh, my daughter-in-law is now going into menopause she's 55 years old and she's having a terrible time and so i recommended to her to see dr lichten and get on the hormone patch and she's she's going to do it in fact i gave her some of mine to get her started till we can get her over here do you remember what your mother's menopause situation was in you too paula is there any connection between uh, anything within families that if their mom had a real bad experience you're more likely to have a bad experience well the ladies can speak but that's definitely true uh the diseases that run in family include also the symptoms if your mother had bad menstrual cramps good chance you will if your mom had bad pms good chance you will if your mom had a difficult menopause very good chance you will and it also applies to sisters as well so a lot of times they'll come in and say, my sister had a terrible menopause. I'm starting to have the symptoms now. What will you do for me that you did for her? Paula, did your mom have that situation? My mother had a hysterectomy pretty early on. I think she was about 50. Mm-hmm. And now she's in the last stages of Alzheimer's. And I'm wondering if the lack of these hormones somehow contributed to her current state. Because they are so powerful and they control so much in our body that I can remember watching her decline over the years and never, and now I think it's hormonally related. And it is. We actually reference in the, uh, in the textbook that uh, I wrote uh, that if you're on estrogen therapy and you continue it to 85, your chances of having Alzheimer's is only 5% compared to those who are not on estrogen replacement okay here here we go here we get to the the part of the program that we get to every show it seems where i go then why don't your average doctors tell people this stuff why do you know this and a few other select people know that by doing this it can be safe and it's helpful and preventative with a lot of different symptoms why I have this quirk, and my quirk is I don't like dogma. I fight dogma. If someone tells me something, I say why. I may be from Ohio, but I should have been from Missouri. Show me why. So when we're in medical school, everyone's given the same standard uh, routine. Here is the estrogen. It's called Premarin. This is what we use. This is Proveric. Together it's Prempro. This is what everybody uses. And then I have patients who I'm out in practice with, and drug doesn't work for them. And they come to me from another doctor who says, this is all he'll use. And I say, well, let me check in the literature. Let me check what we know. And when you look just one step below, just looking at the, what's on the Internet now, looking what's in the publications of data, you see there's a lot more choices. Just like there's different choices in cars, there's different choices in hormones. And some are different and some are better, and they have to be individualized. And when I found out that the estrogen patch is bioidentical, it's not horse urine. It's 24 hours a day, no highs and lows, no malabsorption, no issues there. I started using the estrogen patches when they came out, which is just in the you know, late 70s, early 80s. And it worked well for me. Everyone says, why are you using that? It's, a little more, it's more expensive by $5. But it has the principles that make more sense. It's continuous. You get the same level all day long. You're getting something natural. You're not getting something that's artificial for your body. Right. And that's the point, just taking one step and saying why. And then as Mary and Paula will say, why not? Why don't we try these things? They're, they're prescription. You can get them in any pharmacy. Why are we not doing this? And the bottom line is 
Medical schools teach you one way of thinking, make it simple, knee-jerk reactions. The pharmaceutical companies come by and they reinforce that this is a drug of choice because we're the big player. We've done this for more years than anybody else. And then what happens is the doctor has such limited time that he only has three minutes to respond. He doesn't have time to think. And I go home and I spend three, four, five hours a night asking myself questions. What about this? What about that? And there's a lot of channels that are empty, but once in a while you hit a channel that says, gosh, this makes sense. And the whole book's built on what is logical. What we talk about in our, 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 our uh, audio sessions here is what makes sense. Mary's taken estrogen for 25 years. Mary swam a 10K five, six years ago? Yes. Uh, well, That's five see. hours of swimming in yeah. a row. Dang. <laughs> Dang. Well, that year I, I made. Uh, wow. I was the national champion that year. Long distance national champion in my age group that year. Inter- that was 1998. Inter- okay, it's yeah. 10 years ago. Yeah. And the bottom line is what Mary's here for is to say, what is the limit if you replace the hormones? Now, some women get on Oprah and they say, let's rejoice the menopause. Uh-huh. You know, and you and I used that line before, is right. let's rejo- rejoice our death, too. But the point is, why not, <laughs> why not not go there as long as we don't have to? You know, you and I talk about hormone replacement for men, uh-huh. okay? Mary and Paula know about hormone replacement for women. And why should we waste the hormones, our intelligence, knowing that these make so much so much of an improvement in our quality of our life and the physical state of our life. Why not use what's right? Our show is a national show, so people could be out there searching for hormone replacement therapy and stumble upon us. What do you say to those women who have listened to the press that says five years? How do you assure them, or what can you do as time goes on to check and make sure they're okay and and they're not getting in trouble because they're on long-term therapy? When we look at the study, and this is my strength, is I look at what's behind the study. So why put up a billion dollars with the federal government, looked at 55,000 women, and they picked the wrong group of women. They said women 20, year after, 20 years after the menopause. Then they used estrogen, and the estrogen they used is permanent. It's not of the same quality and the purity of the estrogen patch. But the problem I told you before is that they used Provera. Provera was banned in every country except for the Amsterdam, U.S., and Canada as a carcinogen in 1960. Right. Well, it's 50 years later, and we're still stupid enough to be prescribing it. In England, they'll use Premarin, which is called conjugated equine, horse, estrogen, combined with a different progestin, not progesterone, but a synthetic chemical to counteract the estrogen called agestin. They don't have the complications of the same parallel study to the Wound Health Initiative. Provera is bad. There's a place for Provera. If I have a woman bleeding heavily, I'll use Provera because it works better than progesterone to stop the bleeding, but I don't put my patients on Provera, Provera for years. I stopped using Provera routinely in 1977. I recognize it had inherent problems, and people are doing it because it's commonplace, they've been doing it forever, but that doesn't make it right. So we recognize that Provera synthetic progestins are not natural. They have a bad effect on certain parts of the body, cardiovascular, heart disease, colon cancer, etc. So bottom line is, bioidentical means the body recognizes that normal. And if you have a normal level, which means normal brain levels of hormones and normal ovarian hormone levels. Even if you don't have ovaries, you want the levels to be within that standard range. And what we do with Mary is, what we do with Paul is, we measure the blood levels and say, is the brain satisfied that the hormone levels are adequate? Are the levels adequate for the rest of the body? And we make sure that there's enough estrogen on board so that there's uh, appropriate levels of response in the brain. If they have a uterus in place, a natural progesterone, which calms them down, helps them sleep better. But most of all, we're talking about replacing testosterone to keep the muscle mass up, the mental focus up, uh, the bone content. I mean, Mary's bone at 70-whatever, 8-whatever, uh, looks like someone 22. She ha- she's not going to get osteoporosis. Of course, when she can sit down, sit in my swimming pool and run 15 minutes of butterfly and say, I really haven't warmed up yet, is when I go back in the house and say, oh, my God, I can't even think about this. But you get the idea. There is no limit to what we can do. And menopause, per se, uh, old age, per se, doesn't have to start till you're 85 or later. 
you have this whole quality of life that you can continue with, at least in your mid-80s. And you can do everything you did when you were in your 50s, 60s, and in Mary's case, 40s or 30s, or actually even better from what she says. Dr. Lichten, I have a question. There are different <clears throat> forms of estrogen. There's the patch, there's injectable, there's oral. Are those all bioidentical? They can be. So if we use the word estradiol, which is E2, uh, you find it clinically orally called estrace. You find it in the patch called Vivel or Clomera. You find it in the depot estradiol injections. These are all natural bioidentical estrogens. You find it in estrace vaginal cream. And you can have it compounded if you want to make it fancy, but they're all available by prescription. Then we have synthetic estrogen, which will be Premarin, conjugated estrogen. The trouble with oral estrogens per se is some of that converts to an alternative form of estrogen called E1. So the best way of taking estrogen actually will be vaginal cream, a patch, a shot, or even an estrogen pellet, some way that bypasses the stomach changing the estrogens. And again, estradiol is the way you want to take estrogen, not conjugated estrogen from horses. Do you take just one of those methods or do you combine I often combine, as the ladies may talk about it, but I like the estrogen patch for the systemic effects, and I like estrogen vaginal cream because the vagina needs and bladder need more estrogen. These are areas that are very sensitive to estrogen. So a woman comes in to me and she says, I feel like I have to urinate all the time. I say, I know what your problem is. They look at me and says, well, the urologist didn't find the answer. I said, you're low in estrogen. Here's a prescription for $45. It's estrogen vaginal cream. Take one inch of cream and rub it in the part, top part of your vagina with your bladder for the next two weeks and come back and see me. 95, 98% of the time, problem's gone. So estrogen vaginally, very important. Uh, estrogen systemically very important and some of my women patients I don't know if Mary's cheated and done this but you can take a little dab of that vaginal cream and put it on your cheeks it does great for your skin tone <laughs> is that your secret Mary <laughs> or Mary no Mary oh, may just, not tell I just learned something new <laughs> there you go <laughs> All right. and uh, what do you say to people out there that want to try uh, the natural treatments things like you know soy Black cohosh, wild yam, valerian and, root. And Don Kwai. Uh, the bottom line is it's nice and well and good, but it's not going to change the hormone levels. So uh, you could take a Valium to treat your anxiety, but if your estrogen levels were low, wouldn't it make more sense to just replace the estrogen? Why not treat the cause instead of the symptom? Um, the point we really try to make here is you can't treat the blood test unless you replace the hormone. So if I measure the blood levels and I find that you're low in estrogen, if you're not taking the right kind of estrogen, the blood levels are always going to be off. And how the brain responds to that deficiency of that hormone is what we're talking about. The whole gambit of symptoms. Example, if we go back 500 years, people's teeth were falling out. They did all kind of things about it. No one realized until they started taking vitamin C that it was caused by a vitamin C deficiency, and the disease was called scurvy. So if you have a case of scurvy here today, you go to the dentist, and the dentist doesn't pick it up, you have your teeth pulled, you have your gums cut. All along, the problem is not that you ever had a problem with your teeth or gums, you had a problem with vitamin C deficiency. So what I'm saying is a blood test now we have make it so simple to say, hey, here's a cause, let's treat this first. And then 90% of the time, you don't have to do anything else. You've treated the cause of the problem. Amazing. Mary, tell us uh, anything else that we need to know of how this has helped you, changed your life in any way, or what would you say to the listeners out there that are considering therapy like this? Go for it. (laughs) (laughs) No, I mean, this is the real thing, and I'm proof of it. (laughs) How, How could I do the things I've done at my age without hormone replacement it's just you know it's like cutting off one of your arms or both of them if you don't have it why go without why not um, take advantage of what's available and this is available to make your life normal i'm i'm trying to help my daughter-in-law now because she's just going into menopause and she's she can't sleep at night she uh, she gets so irritable and crabby she mm-hmm. bit my head off one time on the phone for some something i couldn't figure out why she you know 
yelled at me, uh, you know, just some simple thing. I was asking her if I wanted, she wanted me to pick her up and go shopping. And she said, why do you keep bothering me like this? She was, you know, just awful. And the next day when I talked to her, she said she just couldn't help it. She the, she has these had these explosives and still does. I mean, she's irritable. She she can't sleep. And now I'm hoping that I'm I'm almost sure that Dr. Lichten will help her. The point that we want to make here: if you look at Mary, you know, in, in her late seventies, and the uh, person who gets out, and you I'll see the pictures of of Mary. I have on on some of my websites is that Mary gets out of the swimming pool, and these thirty five year old lifeguards are hitting on her. And I think it's sort of cute. <laughs> And I, I, I won't use what Mary said to the boys, but she told me the story about what they should do with their you-know-what, whatever. But the, beside the point is, the point is you can look. Their what or their whatever. I thought that was well put. Right. This is, <laughs> yeah, oh, yeah. The point I'm making is that if you go on hormone replacement before you go into the menopause, then you have a quality of life that continues. And Mary's bones are great. And you can see how articulate Mary is. So, mm-hmm. you know, God forbid Alzheimer's is not what we're going to face. Uh, the uh, women who are hormone replacement have tone, have attitude, have pizzazz. They're fun to be with. I mean, these are the ladies that, you know, we want to. But you and I have lived through women going through the menopause. And are oh. the, we won't go there. But the bottom line, without treatment, you know, our lives are impossible. The whole point of our story was to say, gosh, guys. Uh, get your wives in for treatment so you don't blow your brains out, you know. But the point is, and the wives, get your husbands in there so you don't blow your brains out. The point is we all go through changes, but why not minimize them and have a quality of life for a long period of time? Do you really feel, Paula, that your relationship changed in any way for the positive when you went on therapy? I thought my life was in the toilet for the rest of my life. I thought if this is menopause, what I was waiting for, that wonderful time when you don't have periods, oh my God, what a bill of goods I was sold. But it can get much better. And while you're going through this and you have no control, because you have the hot flashes, you can't sleep, you blow off for no reason, you have crying spells, you eat a bag of potato chips, but we're talking about the big lay bags, not the little ones. Uh, you go ahead and have a loaf of bread. I mean, <laughs> you just eat the whole thing and you go, I'm out of control. And then emotionally you feel like you can't relate because you don't know where you're going to be. So the big thing is you become insecure. And the thing that the hormones do is they build up a level where you say, I'm comfortable being me again. And that's a real key because you can't have a relationship when you're insecure. And if you're living with a crazy person, which all of us have done at some point in our time in life, you feel like not only is the world crazy, but you're crazy. And the point is when you're on the hormones, you say, okay, I can handle this. I realize that I'm me. And that's what the whole point about hormone replacement is. It gets you to be yourself again. When you're in that crazy phase, I had small children, and they thought it was them. And it had nothing to do with them. But I was so out of control that it was affecting them when you're going through that crazy phase do you know you're going through it absolutely so you know this is happening to you and you can't control it and you identify that as being menopause and every time i would go to a doctor i would say this is not me i am an intelligent well-spoken well-educated female and I don't know where that person went. And they would look at me and went, uh-huh, uh-huh. Well, how about some antidepressants for you? And that wasn't the answer. So we've kind of veered into this little relationship issue, but it really, it, it, it does combine with what we're discussing because menopause is affecting their behavior. Definitely. And, and what I wanted to say was, what I do in my practice, you know, here I am the gynecologist who sees the men, right? But I see couples, and what happens is one couple, one of the couple will pick up that there's something wrong. So the male may pick up that he's weak, but usually it's the woman picks up that he's weak. Mm-hmm. And she'll send him in for treatment. And then once he's stabilized, then she'll come back and say, okay, I know there's something wrong here. Or you've been treating my wife, and I know I can't keep up, and I see how this affects our relationship. So when you have a really well-bonded relationship, it's very often I'll see both partners. And when both sets of hormones are equal, hey, it's like being 25, 35 again. Both of them are secure in who they are themselves. 
and that allows them to have a better relationship. But let's say you have a hysterectomy, you're thrown into this menopause. How long do those symptoms last? Even if you're not feeling them a lot, we said earlier there's still stuff going on. How long can you have these problem feelings? Can that last for years or forever? Right. Forever. So, you know, I hate to bring my own personal situation in here, but, you know, I'm going through a divorce and I've got a wife that was uh, had a hysterectomy and, and thrown into this. How do you know that part of that isn't part of a problem, isn't part of the problem? Well, that's the whole point you make by saying, what happens if this is called intervention therapy? Okay. Uh, if you are reasonable and say, okay, your hormone levels were you know, at this level, and now they're one-fourth what they were. Uh, your sleeping pattern could be disturbed. What happens if you take this medicine? And it's as simple as Mary's patch. Or when I do surgery, someone needs more intense hormone, like Paula's injection. So what happens if you use this little tiny patch? What, no, what changes do you notice? And if they're using a patch that gives them no symptom, no release, they said didn't feel anything different. So now we go up. We've got four levels for the patches, 25, 50, 75, and 100. So if you did 25, you didn't feel anything, take a 50. Do you feel anything? Well, you take 100, I feel a little breast tenderness. So that's a little high. So we know just by when do you find that you're not having too much symptoms and you still find that I'm sleeping better. I find I'm less emotional. So it's very simple to titrate as a medical term from a little low up until you get levels of balancing the estrogen. Then the second hormone comes in. Say, so if you're having some trouble with sleep and you have a uterus still in, you haven't had the hysterectomy, we add natural progesterone at bedtime. Really simple. It's a sweet potato extract. You can take it orally. You can rub it on your breast for a little increased firmness. The point is progesterone, not Provera, is, again, perfectly safe. It's so safe they did studies in the 70s. They gave guys 45 times the dose they gave to women. The only thing is the guys fell asleep for 15 minutes. So that's how safe the progesterone is. And the third hormone, which, of course, is my favorite, is testosterone. Give women a little testosterone. They're not only assertive, they're attentive. As Carolyn says, you just can't talk about sex every time. We're going to talk about <laughs> sex now here, too. You take your little shot of testosterone, and I don't care if you're 50 or getting close to 80, it's time to rock. So we didn't really want to touch on sex, and, and we're not going to for a, a, a large portion of this. But since he mentioned it, I'm just going to throw out, uh, and, and Paula, I, I won't ask you this question, uh, but maybe Mary, you don't want to be asked it either, but I'll ask it because it's my job. Um, you, you're on some testosterone too? I have used it. Yeah. You have used it. And when you used it, did you notice anything come back to life within you? More um, desire or more feelings? Mm-hmm. Yeah, you did. Sure. Because women and men, you know, as we age, some of that desire goes away. And I think it happens so slowly that we kind of don't know that it's going away. And we just accept it. Mm-hmm. And so for men, when they get back on testosterone therapy, mm-hmm. I mean, like within 24 hours of like, Whoa! Oh, what was that? <laughs> well, you know what that was. <laughs> you remember what it was, anyway. Yeah, but it was like, welcome back. <laughs> wow! And then you know, so well. Let's say you're you're asking me this. Okay, I've still got it. <laughs> <laughs> How's that? Enough said. <laughs> Is that good enough? About sex, okay? Wow. So, I've still got it, even though I'm I'm widowed. Uh, um, <laughs> I have a friend, you know, a male friend. <laughs> I want to be Mary. <laughs> me too. <laughs> and I, I want to change. I didn't go after him. He came to me. <laughs> well, I see. When you know, wow. Wow, man. but I'm not. I'm not. You know, going to go into details about this, but no, I've still got it. It's still there. I can tell, and you know. I can tell the total package. <laughs> this and, guy's in Florida now, and he's calling me every day <laughs> from Florida. And last night, I wasn't there when he called, and and his message was, "I think about you every day. <laughs> I think about you a lot." He calls me every day. <laughs> That's nice. 
See, 19 or 79 doesn't make any difference. You're on the right hormone levels. Everything is just the same as it was, or yeah. better. And isn't that the way it should be? It's better. Damn I right. Feel, all right, I'll tell you, I feel like I'm in love. I'm really, I feel like a... Like back in the early 20s or late teens. That, that's it's the same. That, same feeling because I have the estrogen. I have the patch. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm a full human being. Without it, you're not all there. And that's why I really don't like using age. We do it on this show, and we're an anti-aging and wellness show. We use it only by example because by you allowing us to use your age, a lot of listeners can listen and go, wow. But the reality is, to me... You're not your age. You know, none of us are really our, our, our chronological age. And if you're going to give an age to someone, let's get the blood work and give your biological age. You got it. Right? Yes. No question. I mean, we all know as, as we've aged that we really, <laughs> you don't age mentally. Your thoughts don't age. No, age is a number. It's, it's just a word. Age is a word. It's the way you feel and the way your body is. Mm-hmm. That's what's important. But people lock into that number. They yes. lock into it. They walk down a path mm-hmm. of acceptance. They go, well, I'm 70, and I you know, don't have a sex drive, and I don't feel like going anywhere, and I'm doing this. And, but that's because I'm 70 or 80. What do you expect? I mean, they just walk that path of acceptance when the reality is, is you don't have to walk that path. Right. Through hormone replacement, through taking care of yourself, your vitality, your mm-hmm. life. You can be can, alive, just as alive in your 70s as you, as you were in your 20s if your body is um, complete. And it's not complete without the hormones. Dr. Lichten, can someone who's 70 who's never had hormone replacement come to you and then start it at that age? Yes, the difference between uh, using natural bioidentical and using the uh, synthetic forms is, yes, I have women in their 60s and 70s who start uh, even the men, you remember Ariel at 89 started his Amazing. hormone therapy. So the point is natural therapies, of course, we're going to use lower levels, uh, smaller doses of medication than we would if you were uh, 45 or 50, but you can still have a number of the benefits. But the real key is to pick up the hormone changes early. We're now picking up, uh, I've always treated women in their 40s with hormone replacement, starting with actually testosterone before the estrogens uh, for many of the women. We're picking up guys in their 30s who are becoming dysfunctional. Well, ladies, thank you very much, Mary and Paula, for coming in, sharing your stories with us. I'm sure you've helped a lot of listeners, and uh, you are definitely great role models. So thank you both for coming in. Dr. Lichten, next week we're going to have an interesting show. We're going to have Laura and Keith Khalil of Creating Wellness and the Khalil Family Wellness and Intervention Center. Very interesting couple, and uh, we'll learn a lot about how to create and maintain wellness, and we'll learn how to live with vitality by connecting your body, mind, and spirit. And that's kind of what we talked about a little bit today. Hormone replacement therapy is definitely part of that, physically, but you've got to have mental, the mental game is part of it too, isn't it? Right, and I believe it starts with you know, spiritual, reasonable nutrition, and the hormones really help your brain work. You know, if you can't focus, you can't think, it's hard to connect. So, yes, I believe there's a strong connection, and mind-body, hormonal therapy, we believe in it all. So that'll be a great show next week, and if you'd like to check them out before our show, you can find them at KhalilCenters.com or Creating Wellness. It'll be a great show, and we look forward to having them on. If you'd like to contact Dr. Lichten for a consultation, he's available at 248-593-9999, or visit him on the web at usdoctor.com. It's been a great show, Doctor. Thanks again. I appreciate it. Hey, it's always great to be here and listen to our discussion from our patients and everybody else about wellness because that's what it's all about. Hey everyone, thanks for listening. Make sure to check out our next show every Monday on iTunes. Thanks for listening to The Licked Lifestyle. I'm Steve Peck. We'll talk to you next week.